0: Well, good morning all, lovely to see you all here after this Easter weekend. We're going to do what I think is a fascinating topic about does God exist. Uh, If you had your outline you would know that on the top but unfortunately we haven't been able to get one to you this week. We miss you Dave very much and we're going to just get straight into it. So let us pray. Our Father in Heaven, we thank and praise you for your greatness. We thank and praise you that you are a faithful God that has revealed yourself in this world. We ask this morning, Father, as we think about the reasons why we do trust that you are there, that you're work in our hearts and minds and understand that we have more than just good confidence, but that we truly know who you are and what you are like because of your Son, our Savior Jesus Christ. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you were just coming in and you saw today's sermon title in a church building, Does God Exist?, you would be forgiven for thinking, wow, this might be the shortest sermon you'll ever hear. Does God exist? Yes. Here end of the lesson, we'll get on with the next song. And for bonus material, I could throw in Psalm 14 and 53, the fool says in his heart, God does not exist. And as tempting as it might be to, for all of us to have an early mark today, given, but given the world we live in, I don't think it is of much service to leave the question just there or leave the answer just there as yes. So we're going to think about today what the Bible says we can know about God's existence. But even before we get to that question, we must do a bit of work on our own world and the way it thinks and conceives of God and God's relationship to the world. So let us start by considering irrationality and the Enlightenment. Now, instead of turning straight to the question of does God exist, I want to look at the question through the framework of our worldview, of the worldview of the Enlightenment, which we live in. And to do this, I'm going to change the question a bit, and I'm going to ask it from or through that Enlightenment framework. So the question I'm going to be dealing with for a little while concerning God's existence is, is it just plain madness or stubbornness to continue to believe in God's existence. That is, is it just plain foolishness to continue to believe that God exists? Now, if you go out into the world, many will say yes to that exact question. They will say that it is just plain madness to believe in God's existence. A renowned, but today much less used example of those who argue this is Richard Dawkins. He writes this, the God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction, jealous and proud of it, a petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser, a misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infecidal, genocidal, filicidal, pestilential, megalomaniacal, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully. Even if you can understand all those words and didn't have to pronounce, uh, practice pronouncing them as I did, it is not exactly a ringing endorsement for the God of the Bible. In other words, God's a nasty piece of work and you must not trust him. Now, the truth about Richard Dawkins is he's a pretty hardcore evangelist. He's your the, he's the equivalent of your Bible thumping, turn or burn preacher, just for atheism. But that is not what most atheists are like. For most atheists, the worldview of the Enlightenment is simply the belief that there is no supernatural being at all, and even if there is, who cares? It is the atheism that is at heart of nearly every single piece of communication we receive and consume in our culture. And it is that worldview that has been relentlessly pushed and mercilessly forced upon us, and has been forced upon us in such a way that it is just seen to be both neutral and self-evidently true. If you live in Australia, that is the inescapable worldview we have around us. For example, it is the atheism of John Lennon's Imagine. The first verse of John Lennon's Imagine Song says this. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us, only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. That is out and out atheism right there. What the song is saying is that there is no justice, there is no hope, just live for the moment. Sure, it sounds nice and if you don't think too hard through the consequences of its well view, it will, it will sound like it plays out. But if you take the song to its logical conclusion, and I don't believe John Lennon would take, have believed this, but the song ends in a very depressing and narcissistic view of life and the world. But the song sounds good, so who cares? Many within our culture think religion and God can only lead to war. So if that is the case, let's take God out of our reasoning. Science has killed God. The science that has replaced, science has replaced any need for God as an explanation of the universe. The enlightenment teaches us that God is completely separate to the universe, that our universe gets on just fine without him so why bother with this question at all why is there any need to prove or disprove god's existence and this is where people like richard dawkins hit a massive problem because the fact is many scientists and philosophers in the west are becoming christian and this seems to run very much counter to the reason and evidence that many people believe exists in the world. It appears to their mind to be totally inconsistent for a person to claim to be a scientist and to have a belief in God. Even the more moderate atheists say that even if there is a God, then science has nothing to say about the topic of God, either for or against, so who cares? Certainly as I go around and talk to people, The predominant attitude I've come across uh, amongst non-Christians is one of, well, it doesn't really matter if there is a God or isn't. Just do whatever makes you happy. And it sounds fine. And so for a lot of people, even the question of whether or not there is a God, it is just so divisive that we shouldn't even talk about it. But as Christians who are going about in the world, how should we respond? What should we make about the claims about God? Should we give up and just say, oh, it's all too hard? Should we stop the service right now and all go home? Because it's just obvious to us that belief in divine is a waste of time. My answer is no, so please stay. Are there any good reasons to believe in God, that he exists at all? and especially the Christian God, can he be proven or can he be disproven? Here is the problem with that question and the whole process of the proofs for God's existence. It is fundamentally dependent upon, or the answer is fundamentally dependent upon, human reasoning. And the search for proofs is based on human reason and it has two great flaws at its core. The first floor is we are trying to establish God's existence from within the confines of this universe. And the problem is the nature of the universe, and especially God's relationship to the universe, means human reasoning is incapable of proving God's existence from within itself. And I'm using the word proof in a very specific way here. By proof, what I mean is knowing with 100% certainty that something exists. The Bible certainly doesn't credit humans with that kind of ability. If we're to know whether there is a God or not and what he or she or it is like, then then God must take the initiative to reveal himself to us. Without that happening, there is absolutely no way we can prove with with 100% certainty that God exists on the basis of our own reasoning. And then this then flows into the second problem, which is even more devastating. Because of the fall, human reasoning is broken. That is, it doesn't perceive reality or the universe correctly because of our sinfulness. Because of our sin, our minds don't perceive the universe rightly. And here is the real problem. Because human reason is so broken, we have no ability, no way of detecting the brokenness of our reasoning by looking at the universe. That is, in our broken reasoning, we get trapped within the confines of that reasoning simply by looking at the universe. It cannot show how we are acting falsely. And one of the signs that our minds are not working correctly is man's attempt to prove God's existence simply by looking at the universe. That men try and know that there is a God by looking at the universe is the sure sign their reasoning faculties are broken. Now, I could talk about this subject for a very long time. Trust me, I could. But even atheistic scientists acknowledge this problem. Richard Lewington states this, and he's an, an atheist. We take the side of science in spite of the patent absurdity of some of its contracts, uh, constructs, in spite of its failure to fulfil many of its extravagant promises of health and light in spite of the tolerance of the scientific community for unsubstantiated just-so stories, because we have a prior commitment, a commitment to materialism. It is not that the methods and institutions of science somehow compel us to accept a material explanation of the phenomenal world. Moreover, that materialism is an absolute For we cannot allow a divine foot in the door he is saying he and his colleagues just don't want God in the picture that's what that is saying he is taking materialism that is taking atheism on faith I believe it because I want to and he is not the exception he is the rule And it's nice when they admit it. I could only wish that Christians would admit that their proofs are just as one-eyed. But you would sooner put out the sun with a fire extinguisher than you would stop many a good-meaning Christian claiming they have proof for God's existence. When it comes to science, it has no power to do what atheists claim it can. And what I mean by science And the way I'm using that word is a shorthand for the scientific method. At its core, I have no problem with the scientific method. My problem is when people use, in our rational age, that scientific tool, that good tool of science, in an area where it has no authority to speak. Then our culture does this. Then our culture uses the scientific method of science to try and prove God exists, is a sign that it is acting completely irrationally. What our culture is trying to do with the science is the equivalent of taking a hammer and saying, I'm going to use this as a vehicle to travel to the moon. Sure. Best of luck to you. Now, this is not a negative comment about science, or it's not a positive. It's just a statement about its power. Science is agnostic about the question of God's existence. So then, where does that leave us? Is that the best we can say? Well, there might be something there. Should we throw our hands in the air and live with a convenient but limp wristed agnosticism? That is, we're not sure, we don't know, we'll just go with what suits us. By no means. Because here is the good news. God has taken the initiative. God has left us in no doubt that he exists and he has revealed himself to this world. What I want to do now is to take you to the Bible and give you the three reasons that God says and demonstrates beyond all doubt that he exists. And not only that he exists, but what he is and who he is really like and here are the three reasons, the three big reasons why God shows that he exists. Now, none of these are proofs. What they are are the logical consequences or the good things that flow out of accepting that God's existence. That is, when you accept God exists, then you get the benefits of accepting his existence. And so the very first reason we can know that God exists is the very consistency of creation and its existence as we live in it. All over the Bible, God speaks of his unmistakable existence because we see his actions within the creation. That is, the Bible speaks of all the good things we receive from God simply because he exists. The nature of all rationality is that it is built upon the very consistency and faithfulness of God as he continually works out and works in the creation. Where do we see that? Well, gravity doesn't change. Water acts and freezes under very well-known and precise circumstances. Bacon is universally tasty you know all the good things in life that we depend upon. They come from the hand of God. That is the problem of the Enlightenment. It is totally reliant upon a consistency it cannot logically generate from within the universe itself. That is what the atheist Richard Lowerton is talking about earlier. I have heard atheists say with completely straight faces, When you look at the foundations of all rationality, you will find that it is all fundamentally irrational. And you go, what? That is not word of a lie. And what I'm saying here about rationality, it's not a totally new idea. It's not something that I've just created. This is a well-known philosophical problem, but you just have to dig a little to find it. And it is a problem created by the Enlightenment's conception of a creator completely detached from his creation. This is the complete opposite view of the Bible. The Bible conceives of the creation as fundamentally relied upon God for its existence every single nanosecond. across it its entire breadth and scope. Psalm 19 puts it this way. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. The great irony of atheism is that it relies upon the faithfulness of God in his ongoing kindness, in his consistent maintaining of the universe. It is the very character and nature of God which allows them to deny his existence in the first place. What we call natural laws are the ongoing expression of God's faithfulness working within the the creation across time and space. The only reason atheists can claim that God does not exist is because God is so faithful in his operation of the universe. You cannot make this stuff up. Rightly, Psalm 14 does say, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. This is so true. Atheists are totally dependent upon God to tell us he doesn't exist. Sure. It is a totally bizarre way to look at the world, but Romans 1 explains why people do this. And we see in Romans 1 verse 20, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen from what has been made so that people are without excuse. The natural world tells us not only that God exists, but that he is powerful and that though God is not a part of his creation, his creation remains absolutely reliant upon him ...for its ongoing existence. But though the creation speaks loudly and clearly of God's existence... ...that witness is nearly universally rejected by people. Why? Paul goes on. For although they knew God, they neither glorified God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Here is the sad truth about human reasoning. In its desire to ignore God, it will twist its reasoning reasoning to make it conform with what it wants in its own heart, God's absence. That is why reason and evidence will never work with people because we are surrounded by the evidence of God's kindness every single day. But man in his sin has become practised at ignoring it. Which really leads into our second reason why we know God exists. Our subjective sense of, a, of an objective moral reality. That is, we don't want a judge to tell us that we are morally wrong. Most people believe and live in a world and live in the world as if there is an objective moral values in the world. But what is morality? Well, Morality is just prioritising or valuing one object over another. It is just looking at objects and making value calls. It obviously gets more complex, but at its heart, that's what morality is. Here is the problem with morality. There is no way of making objective moral claims or objective moral values without having an objective God. Again, it's just impossible to do and any attempt to do so is just a further sign of the irrationality of the human mind. Yesterday I was driving along and I saw this bumper sticker on the back of a truck who was annoying me because he was driving too slow. So I sat behind this slow driver, mildly annoyed that he wouldn't do the speed limit, and then I noticed the sticker on his trailer and it's read this, "Meat is murder. And I thought, really? How do you know that? Where did you get that objective moral value from? Certainly not the Bible. Very hard to say meat is murder when the first sacrifice in the Bible is committed by God. Read Genesis 3 carefully. My point is not about the ethics of humans killing animals for whatever reason. What the sticker is implying, whether its owner realises it or not, is that the killing of animals for meat is an objective moral evil okay i disagree with that contention i love my pork ribs as aaron would quietly uh, knows but more importantly where did he get that objective moral value from it is logically impossible to generate that objective moral value from within the universe so where's it coming from and when you point this out to atheists the irrationality of grounding objective moral values within the universe They will go to great left to deny either that's what they're doing and when that fails, then alternatively, they'll come up with some exception as to why it is okay for them to ground subjective moral values objectively within the universe. There is a biblical word for grounding subjective moral values within the universe. It's called idolatry. Paul goes on to explain it in the rest of Romans 1. Our subjective sense... That we are all morally culpable to objective moral values points to the reality of an objective moral judge or God. But again, in our ira- irrationality, we ignore our constant reliance upon objective moral values and where they come from because it doesn't suit us. Which leads to the third reason why we know God's exists. He came and lived among us. That was our reading from John chapter 1. God has left us in no doubt as to existence because he has come to us. Jesus is God become man. And throughout his life he gave more than enough evidence to show that God had come to earth. But the truth is we didn't want to listen when God came to us. I'm always amazed. People always say, if God would only appear, if he would only come to the earth, then I would listen to him, then we would pay attention. Well, he did. And this is what happened his mates deserted him at his greatest hour of need. His people, whom he'd spoken to for 1800 years, either at best ignored or misunderstood him, and at worst wanted him dead. And the pagans, the agnostics, well, they crucified him for the sake of political expediency. What does man want to do when God comes to earth? It wanted to kill him. Yes, humanity really does want to know God. And I know in the plans and purposes of God, it was God's plan for Jesus to die on the cross. But what amazes me, about Jesus' death on the cross was that God didn't need some elaborate ruse. He didn't have to come up with some hugely convoluted and contrived plan to trick people into killing God. Instead, there were mainly three things Jesus needed to do to get men to crucify him. Firstly, he said, I am who I am. He claimed to be God. Now, that in itself wouldn't be enough to get anyone killed. If someone claimed to be God and came in here, my response would be, that's nice, I'm just going to stand over there. i just ignore them. But it is the second thing that Jesus did that meant he could not be ignored. What he did, what made his claims so compelling, was the life he lived, the things he taught, and the miracles he performed. They were inescapable. Jesus' acts and life forced people to pay attention to him, pay attention to his claim. But even that wouldn't have been enough to get him killed. It is the third thing that really got him killed. It is the truth he taught about us, about humanity. He said about us that if left to our normal desires in our own hearts, we are evil, that we want to ignore God that we want to push him out of our lives, that in our hearts we do not want to know God, that we want to reject him. And we proved the truth of that claim when we nailed Jesus to the cross. You want to see how, God treats, how man treats God? Look at the cross and you will see. But here is the amazing thing about God. God let man commit its greatest evil so as to show man what God is like. And this is the amazing thing about Jesus. In Jesus' death, we come to know truly what God is like. John three sixteen For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. This is who God is. God loves us even when we don't deserve it. We suppress the truth of his existence in our hearts. We deny the glory he rightly deserves. We don't thank him and we don't thank him for what he has made. We don't thank him for the very life he gives us. We don't thank him for the very faithfulness he has in caring for and looking after us and looking after the creation. And he is rightly angry. Angry at the way we've treated him. He has every right to be angry at us. But what does he do? He sends his son to die for us. He sends his son to pay the price that we deserve. And in doing so, he shows us what he is like. And as Joe said with his nephew, once we understand what God is like, once we love God, then we understand how to love our neighbour. God, in his great mercy, has died the death that we deserve and then he calls on us to personally know him. There is nothing more important in life to work out, to understand, than God's love for his people through the death and resurrection of his love, of his son, in his love for us he is calling us to know him he has shown us his great love for send, in sending jesus to die upon the cross and in doing that god is showing his graciousness his mercy his kindness his love his justice if you see jesus death on the cross as a point of salvation know that god is calling you to himself he is calling us to come and to know him through our lord and savior jesus christ and to call on him as father as father if you do not know jesus it is time to call on him today it is time to come and trust this man who gave his life so that we could live with him forever amen our father in heaven we thank and praise you for jesus we thank and praise you that we can know you because you have revealed yourself to us through your son we ask today father as we look at the cross and we see the great evil that man has done that in the cross we have said we do not want to know you but in that very one act you have made and opened the door for us to know you forever and ever. We ask, Father, that we come to trust in Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, to know your faithfulness, your kindness, your love and your mercy, that we might live for your praise and live for your glory forever and ever. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.